everything in between as we embark on our homeschooling journey. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to the Homeschool Project Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Anita, as Nathan is sitting out for this mini-series, but he will be back for the next episode, so do not fret, people. Do not fret. I cannot believe that we are in July. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm in denial that we're halfway through the summer here. It makes me sad. Uh, I had this idea in my head that summer would feel more relaxed and we would be searching for ways to keep the kids busy and that is so not the case. I guess it's good, but at the same time not. <laughs> I'm curious if you guys are feeling the same way or maybe with everything, you know, a lot of things I should say being shut down, maybe it's just dragging out for you and they're driving you nuts. There's that too. I know my kids keep getting the boot to go play in the backyard, but it's working. So we'll continue on with that way. Uh, Something I am enjoying though is staying up late at night because I don't do that during the school year. I know that's kind of funny, but I do wake up pretty early when we're in like our normal schedule of the school year. So I am truly embracing my summer nights and making my stovetop popcorn that I so dearly love. It's pretty bad. I think I am now like almost every night making it. Um, I, I kind of tell myself, oh, it's okay. It's not a bag. You know, it's not in the microwave. It's it's uh, just the kernels on the stove. And then I add the salt and the butter. But, you know, I feel like that's my little cheat snack. So between staying up late, having my popcorn, sometimes I'm a glass of wine, and then trying to find a good show to follow on Netflix, because typically uh, Nathan passes out earlier since he still has to go into work. <laughs> it stinks, doesn't it? But um, I'm watching The Order. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. Uh, it's, it's more that storyline of the werewolves and magic, but I'm, I'm hooked for whatever reason. So I've, I, if you listen to my episode with my sisters on our sisters night in chat we do discuss some of the other shows that we've all been watching but this is my newest one if you have any that you would like to recommend to me i'd love to hear i'm always looking for new ones because when the school year comes around i i usually pass out at like 10 and i don't get to enjoy these these shows during the rest of the year But before I jump in, I wanted to give a shout out to It's a Military Life. They are a newer, um, like, virtual platform. And it's created by a military spouse. And her hopes is to build a virtual family of military spouses and significant others. The website and blog provide resources as well as personal stories from other spouses from the military community to bring ideas for family and education. That's kind of like their, their goal, their area. We, a lot of, um, some of the spotlights and posts that have been on her blog are like entrepreneurs. And so it's really interesting. I I love it already. 
and we will actually be featured on Sunday. I think I say Sunday, but it might be today by the time I actually we actually release this current episode that I'm recording. But basically, the 11th of July. So go over to their website. Even if you're not a military family, I would still love you guys to to read our little interview that we had with her. Again, it's a military life. I'm going to put it in the show notes. They also have an area on their blog and it's a section under it's a military child life and she has a homeschooling page there that they're slowly building up. So there's already a couple articles that maybe you might find useful if you're currently homeschooling or embarking or considering this journey. Okay, so we're going to move on now to the final three methods of homeschooling. And we, I told you, there are actually quite a few methods. I, I don't even know all the ones that exist because it's almost like there's subcategories of methods. But as I had said in the first episode of this mini series, I just wanted to focus on the six popular ones, most popular ones. So we are going to now finish up with the final three. I like to think of the first three methods, the traditional, classical, and Charlotte Mason that I introduced in our last episode as methods that are more laid out for you as far as curriculum goes. So if that's more your personality, that you need a little bit more structure and guidance, especially maybe just your first year of homeschooling, you may want to look more into those three methods. These next three, I I feel, require a bit more creativity and involvement from the parent. They are unit study, unschooling, and eclectic. These three also tend to have some variation of a child interest-led approach. So depending, again, on your personality, these may or may not speak to you. If you have that creative mind and that you like to just be a little more free from structure and follow the child, then one of these may be the right fit for you. So we're going to start with the unit study method. So education over time has pretty much categorized everything in our world into areas of learning, right? So which are basically your different subjects, math, science, language, arts, history. However, that's not how our world works, right? Our our world is not, you don't look at our world and see these categories. I love the way Amanda Bennett, which she's with unitstudy.com, puts it. She says, in regards to the child, the world is viewed as whole pieces, not segmented bits and parts. When they see the vast ocean, They see it as teeming with wildlife, full of sunken pirate ships and seashells, covered with rolling waves. A unit study tries to work from this viewpoint, taking one topic at a time and explaining the way that it works as a whole to the child that already sees it as a whole. I mean... (laughs) To me, that she like put it right there in a nutshell. I I researched quite a bit when I was doing these methods, and I really try to cue in on the information that I feel like could be so helpful. And I I just love how she wraps that all up. 
So we're gonna jump right into the highlights of this method. Like Amanda Bennett mentions, I feel like if there were to be a philosophy to this way of learning, it's that if real life is all intertwined and related as a whole, then why not learn that way? Unit studies are a collection of learning activities and subjects incorporated into a picked theme or topic. This main theme has also been called the anchored item or the spine of the unit, since basically it's the core with all the subjects and activities stemming off of it. I almost envision like, I guess, I don't know, maybe a flower. So you've got the center of the flower as like the anchor, the theme, and then all the petals are the different subjects coming off of it. Resources used to, to help create your unit study are typically going to be books, not textbooks, videos, documentaries, websites, music, recipes, crafts, and field trips. Instead of having seven different subjects like history, science, writing that have no relation with one another, this method helps make that connection between the subjects. Hence, unit study. They're making it all one unit. Math, apparently, as you read about it and hear about it, is like the one subject that can be trickier to tie in. Go figure, right? Leave it to math to be the difficult one, always. I have read, though, that some who follow the unit study method there's like this controversy that some believe that yes it is possible to keep math tied in while others are just like uh i don't think so you just you you just can't with math so i just look into that more if unit study is the way that you are thinking unit studies i feel like can be a very fun way of learning as it's known to be more of the hands-on approach with the different projects and activities family will tie into the theme so again if you are one that loves projects and maybe you even love montessori but you don't really want to go the montessori route this could be another great option for your family many unit studies are project oriented following the idea of learn by doing. So if you love crafts or again, the hands-on learning, then, then this is it. Unit studies are a great method of learning for big families. I hear that over and over and over again. For big families or multiple kids even of different age levels, as they all learn the unit together and then their specific assignments are assigned age appropriately. I'm all about how to be efficient with your time, right? I think we can all agree with that one. Unit study themes change on average about every one to four weeks. Again, that's on average. I have seen ones that go longer than that. This is where that parent involvement tends to be more in this method, especially if you are the one that wants to create your own unit studies. So I am not one that wants to have that much work on my end. Again, it's just part of, I guess, my personality and what I'd like to focus on. But say one of my sisters, I feel like she's probably, I I keep telling her, I was like, I think you're going to be drawn to unit studies because 
she has that creative mind and I don't think it would bother her one bit to have to create a whole like curriculum or lesson plan in the way that she wants it to work for her kids. So what it may look like. I forgot to mention that I did this on the last episode, but if for some reason you're listening backwards in these show, in these uh, episodes, I am trying to, for each method, hit highlights, hit what it may look like, examples of curriculum, and then we'll hit the resources. So that's why I'm kind of like breaking it down for you guys. So now we're going to do what it may look like. I'm going to link a YouTube video in the show notes and it's from Rainbow Resource Center. It is it's several years old actually, but I thought it gave a great example of how unit studies work, like wonderful example. She really broke it down when I watched it and I'm not even doing unit studies. So basically you pick your theme. I'm going to go with uh, the Rainbow Resources example, which was the Titanic. She had that as the theme. You would do core subjects of history, geography, literature, and science, all tied to this theme slash anchor, whatever you want to call it. You could do that through the use of read aloud books on the Titanic, visit Titanic websites to research with your kids, watch documentaries on it, study routes of the Titanic on a map. You got your geography there. Study the fashion of that time period. Music study based around that time. Do water experiments or study glaciers. Those are both great uh, science stuff. You can um, base your art around drawing and painting ships, water, or glaciers. You would do all this as a group together. There's that, your family working together as a group. Then you can assign books based on the Titanic or on ships for kids to read and assign books at each of their levels. So if you've got, uh, um, uh, my goodness, I'm sorry. If you have a young reader, okay, so like kindergarten, who's learning to read, you could still find a book, I bet you, at the library that was at that beginner reader level that had something to do with ships or the ocean or the beach. Um, definitely can find books on that for your older kids. So you would assign them a, a, a book that you know is good material and have them read that independently. Copy work assigned for younger students and essays or research papers for your older ones would all be on the Titanic. Take a field trip to a nautical museum. You could even, she even mentions going to the Coast Guards. If you have a local Coast Guard station and it's actually one where they have the icebreaker cutters, that'd be a, a great way for your kids to see that. Visit the ocean if you live near it. You can have a family movie night with one of the versions of the Titanic. Apparently there's a couple different versions. I think that there's one that's even older that may be more kid appropriate than the last one with Leonardo DiCaprio. And then throughout the unit study, or at least near the end, have children work on lap books, notebooking, or scrapbooking to tie all the information they learned together. 
This is that project-based aspect that we talked about. And if you're like me and didn't know what the heck a lap book was when you started homeschooling, because I sure as heck did not know when I first started off, it's typically a file folder filled with interesting information about the topic learned, about the theme that's being learned. And to me, it looks kind of like a mini poster trifold that they create. All right, so now we're going to move on to examples of curriculums for the unit study. You've got Gather Round, which is uh, Rebecca Spooner from Homeschool On. That is a newer curriculum that I believe she created last year. And I want to say when I last read, don't quote me on this because it's been like a month since I last went on there. She was, they were still finishing up completing like a whole, I think year's worth of uh, themes, but I want to say they were going to finish it up this year. So take a look at that. I feel, uh, I definitely loved the illustrations that they have in their books and their curriculum. And I actually do love following all her other stuff. She's great. There's five in a row. Then there's Konos, which is K-O-N-O-S, unitstudy.com, and Homeschool in the Woods. Or, like I said, you can make your own to save money or even if you just enjoy it. Like, that's right up your alley. The beauty of the internet these days is that there are so many sites where people explain how to create your own unit study. So this would totally be, that totally be possible for you without having to really go buy a book about creating unit studies. You can search on Pinterest, in YouTube. Like I said, the, I'll link the video from Rainbow Resource Center because she does explain it so well. And she actually uses an acronym, the acronym PRO, P-R-O, and it stands for planning, no, I'm sorry, (laughs) of course I would mess that up. (laughs) The P stands for pick, pick your topic, R for research your topic, and O for organize your topic. And then basically everything falls under those three steps in planning your unit study. I also found a free unit study planner on the Canadian homeschoolers site. So I'm going to link that in the show notes as well as you want, if you want like some sort of blank template to help in your planning process. Some parents pick and choose chapters from like a science book and choose that as their theme and as their guiding tool in creating their unit studies. Or you can use a biography or maybe even a historical moment as your theme or anchor. All right, so resources. You can go to unitstudy.com with Amanda Bennett, as I mentioned at the beginning. There's susanevans.org. She's been doing this for years. Homeschool in the Woods has a blog. Blog she wrote. And on YouTube, there's we have uh, There's No Place Like Home and Home Sweet Homeschool. And then for a book, they did create a book that I've seen several people recommend, and it's Unit Studies Made Easy. Again, all these will go in the show notes. We are now going to move on to unschooling. 
All right, so many parents who start their research on homeschooling have never heard of unschooling up until that point. That was the case for myself. Even my sister, the high school teacher, was like, what is unschooling? So I'm going to start with a quote from, you guessed it, John Holt, that kind of sums up the philosophy. It is as true now as it was then that no matter what tests show, very little or what is taught in school is learned. Very little of what is learned is remembered and very little of what is remembered is used. The things we learn, remember, and use are the things we seek out or meet in the daily, serious, non-school part of our lives. That when I explain this method, that's probably one of his best quotes to kind of cap it all up there. We're going to jump right into the highlights of this method. If you did not pick up the mindset of many unschoolers from this quote, it is basically recognizing that schooling is not the only way of learning. It's more about supporting interest-led learning for your child. And you're going to hear that over and over again, interest-led learning or child-led learning. The unschooling movement was first more widely recognized back in 1977 when John Holt who started as a school teacher, came up with the term unschooling in his second issue of Growing Without Schooling newsletter. John Holt saw faults in the school system and eventually went on to supporting homeschooling and eventually this form of homeschooling. So, I mean, as he was teaching, he was just like, this is just, it's not working. And like I said, it, it his he started to move towards homeschooling as the answer. And that was at a time that homeschooling was not very big at all. And it was still uh, illegal in many parts of the nation. I think most parts of the nation. So the, the whole idea of homeschooling was still pretty new at that time. And then for him to then go even further as he, you know, watched and observed children and their learning and studied it, he comes up with the whole unschooling method as what he feels is the best way is just again, like a way ahead of his time. He ended up writing 11 books. So he's been seen as the main historical figure related to the unschooling philosophy. I'm going to get tongue tied because unschooling and homeschooling is just too close for me. I was listening to an interview with Carrie McDonald, who has the website wholefamilylearning.com. She also wrote a book, Unschooled, Raising Curious, Well-Educated Children Outside the Conventional Classroom. It's a long title. Don't worry, I'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) But I found her very knowledgeable and helpful in the unschooling method. She speaks a lot on how this method of learning helps facilitate the natural process we all have when we are little and that it helps keep that natural drive to enhance curiosity, creativity, and entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit. And if you're not familiar with that term, it's, it's basically where you seek change instead of waiting to adapt to change. And so, again, 
like I said, how it facilitates that natural learning process that we all had early on. I mean, many people will say that we kind of do a form of unschooling automatically with our toddlers and preschoolers. We, we see how they're just so eager naturally to want to learn and we just follow their interests, right? And they're into something and then we try to feed it and feed it and feed it however we can. That's basically what unschooling is. And they try to keep that natural spirit alive throughout the whole schooling process. And we are in a society now where these types of thinkers with the entrepreneurial spirit is what's needed. The goal of many unschooling parents is to actually raise innovators, people who challenge and change the system for improvement. So basically my big takeaway from this method is that it's child-directed learning and done primarily through life experiences. Carrie McDonald also brought up a quote by Carl Wheatley from Cleveland State University that he had said years back that I thought helped visualize this philosophy. And he said, unschooling is a variation of homeschooling where instead of following a set curriculum, children learn through everyday life experiences. These experiences are generally of their choosing and tend to match their strengths interest and personal learning styles. So there's the idea that if you allow your child to take the lead and decide what they want to learn about, then they're more likely to be involved in the learning process and will actually retain what they've learned. So your role as the parent is more of a facilitator than a teacher because you're going to be finding opportunities for your child to explore and discover their questions and interests. You look for these opportunities of exploring in books, experiments, or even in the community. And again, so it's different than like that, that teacher part where you're like trying to teach them or if you're lecturing or handing them a workbook and working with them through that workbook. That's not the case. You're the facilitator because you're just, you're helping them get to that point. Like how they're interested in this. How am I going to help them do that? One technique used in facilitating your child's interest as opposed to teaching is by strewing. Strewing is basically strategically placing things around the house, such as books, games, crafts, videos to be discovered by your child in hopes to spark an interest. So for example, maybe you would place a book on scuba diving on the coffee table if there's an interest in marine life. The child may actually be more likely to pick it up as opposed to it being a part of a set curriculum. They don't feel like it's forced upon them and it's kind of like, oh, what's this here? So there's like a whole art strewing apparently. It's that idea again, that nothing is forced upon them. They have to want to learn. Now there are unschooling families who do use parts of curriculum if it's something that their child is actually interested in, but they follow the idea that when a child is over it, 
they have the option to exit. They're not going to force it. They're not going to be like, no, we got to finish this book. Uh, one example that I, I heard was given was even a, like their child, it was an unschooling family and their child was interested in learning Chinese. So they actually did use a Chinese curriculum to learn Chinese again. So they're not totally against curriculum, but there, it's nothing that's forced upon them and they will pick up part of a curriculum if it's actually going to help that child in learning more about their interest. All right. So what might it look like? And I was so curious about how this works and I have learned so much again through this research. I loved doing this series guys because of everything that I've learned through it. I came across this wonderful YouTube video of a 13 year old unschooler on TEDx. He likes to call their method of learning hack schooling. I thought it was really cute. Let me tell you, listening to how well-spoken he is, especially in front of a crowd and the confidence he was, he has was so impressive. It made me wish I had the personality to unschool our kids. Like that's just how impressed I was with this kid and how he's turned out. This video helps give you a snapshot of what interest led learning looks like. So he has an interest in skiing. He still does math, science, history, and writing, but a lot of it involves the topic of skiing and books on skiing. They do lots of hands-on activities and experiments. He speaks on their community involvement, and he even has an internship with a company he's interested in to get better at design. So here's that real life experience stuff that we're talking about, that we talked about. The parent's role as a facilitator in all of this is to help bring him to all of these resources. If that is helping to kind of clear things up now. If you live in a state that has subject requirements like we do, then you could attempt to strew items around the house that would help meet that requirement, but with the goal of tying it to a topic of interest with your child. It's still possible to keep a record for the state too with unschooling by just basically listing all the books, videos, activities, experience that you guys have used throughout the year. So don't write off unschooling completely if it's something that you're really interested in and you're worried about a paper trail. It's, it, it is possible. And you can look into some of the resources I'll give you and I'm sure they'll give you um, more tips on how to do that. So I'm going to, as far as like the examples of curriculum, I'll be skipping that for obvious reasons because there really is no curriculum to unschooling. But some resources that I found that I feel like will be pretty helpful. I found an article on 100 strewing ideas. Then there was three teenage resources. So for your teens, one is self-directed. There are self-directed learning centers throughout the United States. States. <laughs> My goodness, I cannot talk today, people. I'm so sorry. Such as... Liberated Learners Network in Massachusetts. That's an example of one of these self-directed learning centers. I, I believe they were like one of the first centers to get this whole idea up and running throughout the nation. 
They basically support teenagers not interested in traditional school and focus on self-directed learning. So it's, it's really good support in that. The second one is not back to school camp, which is basically a summer camp of a lot of self-directed learners and want to be entrepreneurs. And then number three was Project World School. And it's basically temporary learning communities around the world for teens and young adults. So they get that life experience, that community experience. That's all part of the whole unschooling process. And then you have a support system called Alliance for Self-Directed Educators. And then some of the books we have here are Teach Your Own, the John Holt Book of Homeschooling. There's Free to Learn by Peter Gray. And as I mentioned, Unschooled by Carrie McDonald. I'll also link her website. And I found um, a video clip on her that was, it was just like, I think it was like less than 10 minutes, but it was great. It was her basically you know, putting in a nutshell what unschooling is. So I'm going to link that video clip as well. And then some of the podcasts I found were Exploring Unschooling. She also has a blog called Living Joyfully. Then there's Sage Family. That's the other podcast I found. Fun Schooling is a blog with more structured unschooling, which may be easier in creating that paper trail record if that's what you're really worried about. So they have a lot of resources for that with more of an unschool feel. And then on YouTube, there's a channel, Real Family Journey, that are is a homeschooling family. Okay. Oh, and of course, I don't know if I said it, I'll also link this young man, the 13-year-old um, who did his episode on TEDx. Okay, I cannot believe we made it to our last method of the mini-series, and that is the eclectic method. I strategically left this one for last, and I think you'll see why if you don't already understand what the eclectic method is. I'm going to start with a quote, of course, from... Colleen Kessler, and she's with Raising Lifelong Learners. She's known for helping parents educate gifted kids, as she is a mother to gifted children herself, but she also follows more of an eclectic method. She had a post that was titled 101 Reasons Eclectic Homeschooling Works for Gifted Kids, and I love how she worded one of the reasons on this list. She says, Eclectic homeschooling doesn't mean being random. It means being thoughtfully deliberate about what you want for your child, then preparing a variety of materials to meet those needs. Love it. I think it's quite possible that within the next year, we will possibly be more of a an eclectic homeschooling family, but with a focus on Charlotte Mason because she really, the way that she puts it, it's like, yeah, I mean, sometimes you do have to give up some stuff on a particular method. If, if your goal is to truly do what is best for your child. So the highlights of this method, 
The philosophy behind the eclectic approach is that your child doesn't fit one style of learning. I tried to say the phrase to Nathan last night that I was going to use, and I almost butchered it. I might butcher it again, but basically, one shoe does not fit all. There you go. I think I got it right. <laughs> right? You can think of it that way. So the focus on this, on the child, let me reword that. Basically, your focus is on the child and what works best for them as opposed to putting your focus on the child following one particular method. You're going to throw that out the door. The eclectic method can also be seen as the a la carte method as you pick and choose what you want from curriculums and resources to make your meal, right? Or to make your curriculum. This is a more adaptable approach since you are frequently combining and changing styles and resources to meet your child's needs. So if you're looking for adaptability, this is it. Parents may tend to view curriculum as a tool that benefits their child's education. Keyword benefit, meaning when they pick curriculum, that focus will be on what will benefit my child the most here. I don't have the statistics to back this up, but I am pretty sure the majority of homeschooling families follow some form of the eclectic approach. And for obvious reasons, in that the key is tailoring the curriculum to meet your child's learning needs. It's like what I just said, like I could see myself by next year being more of the eclectic approach. So what it may look like. I get the feeling that most who are eclectic like to follow their child's interests, but still have some form of a loosely structured day. So even though it's like child interest led, like the unschooling approach, these types of families are still going to want some form of structure to follow. Maybe you have a to-do list for your child as opposed to a schedule, right? There's no time slots, but you may be more likely to create the list with your child's input. So you're going to work on it as a team, maybe as opposed to you doing it by yourself because you want them to be a part of it and to hear their opinion on what they want to learn. So for example, you may write out a list of subjects you want your child to complete or that the state requires. Then you ask your child what they want to learn from each subject. Then you would create a curriculum plan that will cater to their style of learning within each subject. You may have lots of discussion during learning time as well as other parts of the day through life experiences. And I'm quickly realizing that during the summer, we are we actually do take on an eclectic approach ourselves. We have this like sh- these short structured learning times in the morning with math and reading, but are then more interest led for the remainder of the day. And that is like very unstructured because I I don't plan for it. We just kind of roll with it every day. Like, Oh, you want to do an experiment? Okay. Let's look into that. Oh, you want to go down a rabbit hole on spiders? Let's go do that. So again, it's just, I feel like And I'm now realizing like, yeah, we do the eclectic approach over the summer. So examples of curriculum. 
and you're like, well, it's an eclectic approach. What do you mean? So I'm just going to give you my two cents on this. I think the key to curriculum choice and the eclectic approach is figuring out how your child learns in each subject and create a customized educational plan based on their needs. You may not know this the first year of homeschooling, so make sure you give yourself some grace. I definitely did not know. I kind of had to roll with it this past year because my kids had been in school and, you know, if you had kids in school and then you pull them out to homeschool them, you realize like, man, I really don't know a whole lot about what they're learning and how they learn. It's, it's sad, but I mean, it's just because of the amount of hours that they do spend at school. So give yourself grace this year if, it, if you're jumping in for the first time and see it as that trial and error. I know that sounds bad, but it's just being realistic so you don't feel like you're failing them because I'm trying to tell you it's normal and it's, it's typical. So if you don't know how they learn yet, take this year to figure that out. You'll want to observe your child to see what style of learning they are thriving in and what style are they completely struggling in and know that you don't want to go there. Are they a visual or auditory learner? Hands-on or more textbook? Because there are kids that still do love their textbooks. There are kids that don't want their parent involved and they would prefer to do things independently. So you have to figure that out. So maybe for math, you do textbook, right? Traditional style. Language arts, more of a classical style curriculum. History, you could do with living books, which is more of the Charlotte Mason method. And then science, they do better with hands-on activities. You get my drift? It really could be, it, you just follow how they learn best with this method, which is, again, why I think it ends up being the most popular in the end. All right, so resources. Rebecca Spooner from Homeschool On, as I spoke about her earlier with her unit study curriculum, she has a YouTube channel and there's a playlist of her doing curriculum review for each subject. I've actually been watching it myself to try to figure out math and language arts and next will be science curriculums because I'm not so sure I'm sold on the suggested curriculums in my um, my website that I follow for our Charlotte Mason style method. So she does the curriculum reviews and she even talks about how a certain curriculum may actually work better for a certain style or for a certain family type. Then there's Ben and Me, which is a blog of a mom that considers themselves delight directed learning. And she also has some curriculum reviews. As I mentioned earlier, Raising Lifelong Learners, she has a blog and a podcast. Then there's year-round homeschooling blog. She has a section on her blog actually labeled categories, and that gives resources resources for each subject. This one I bring up all the time, Kathy Duffy's book. I'm telling you, if I haven't sold you already, you should have been sold by now because her 102 top picks at least. I know she has a website. I've never really... um, I never really dove into her website, so I can't speak about that, but her book is great because she lists many curriculums and she puts it in this chart and then she rates them on how they would work 
for each learning style. So if it's more of a Charlotte Mason curriculum, it may get like a, a number four where for unschooling it would get zero or one, but that's how she does it. And so again, if you're feeling overwhelmed, I feel like it's a great resource to at least start off with and help guide you. If you know that your kid for like math is this type of learner for science is this type of learner. YouTube pennies and salt they are eclectic homeschoolers and she also has a link to a curriculum video playlist where her and a few quite a few other mothers reviewed their favorite curriculums so it would be good to hear the different um, because they're moms that are all different methods too so if you're finding again that in this subject it's going to be more this method. At least you're, you're hearing a variety of opinions on different methods, different curriculums. If you're going more the eclectic route, these are, I felt like were great resources for your planning. Then there's also on YouTube, the moonlit schoolhouse. They are eclectic. And so is uh, love jar vlogs. All right, we did it. Those are the six more popular styles, methods, whatever you want to call it, to homeschooling. My hope, my hope is that this mini-series truly helped clarify the methods a little better. I realize there is more detail involved for each method, but the goal here was to decrease any overwhelming feelings and help narrow down your search. If you're still overwhelmed, and I really hope that this mini-series did not add more of that feeling. But if you still are, take a couple days to let all this information sink in. And then come back to it and try to choose your, maybe narrow it down to like your top two methods to dive into more to help figure out what direction to take. You have to start somewhere. But remember the beauty of homeschooling people, and that is you are not forced to continue doing something if it's not working. I say that you have to start somewhere because we all know that yes, there's a beauty in the overwhelming number of resources out there, but it it is overwhelming. (laughs) So once you are feeling like I'm real. I really think we're getting called to this certain method or this certain style or this particular curriculum. At some point, you just got to be like, we're going to, we're going to try it out because you could continue to research and research and research and it never stops. I have to tell myself that all the time. Like I said, I had to find a math curriculum that worked better than last year for our kids. And I could continue to like research and research and research all these different companies that make these math curriculums. But I told myself, okay, this is what I know works for my daughter. As soon as I hear a curriculum that kind of hits these key points that she needs and it's not going to break the bank, I'm going for it. And that's what I have to do. And then that's it. I move on to the next thing. So that's what I mean. Like you have to start somewhere but don't feel like you're forced into having to stick with something. If, if you start doing it and things are miserable, then change it up. Unless you have it in you where you're like, nope, I put the money, we're gonna you know, plow through this. Okay, that's your choice. But you also have the choice to step away if need be. So keep that in the back of your mind. And please, please, please email us or message us on Instagram if you need help with some, anything, something even if it's planning or organizing, I would love to help you.
and remember to find support groups. It truly does help whether it is, well, right now I feel like most support groups you're going to want to do virtually depending on what state you're living in because a lot of the actual homeschool groups in your local areas are not meeting in person yet or and we don't know if they will be so still research a local homeschool group so when that day comes you've got something but then also find your virtual ones which are typically going to be easier to find on facebook and sometimes on instagram until next week i hope you all have a wonderful week Bye. Thank you for listening to the Homeschool Project Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or suggestions that we can discuss on the show, send us an email at thehomeschoolprojectpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye, everyone.